You're going deeper, that's why I focus on art and consciousness. Why I put those words together, art and consciousness or art consciousness. What I think it is, is in times like now, the artist is so much more important. It's so much more important because the artist can go through a dark night of the soul and draw all the beauty out of it. Like I'll show you what hell looks like when, when you draw all the beauty out of it. And you can see like, oh man, there, you can never completely destroy the light, the beauty. It's always there. And a lot of the times it's just your perception. So that's why I really wanted to connect with you and film you as an artist. It's your life. You know, you go through these difficult times. What do you do afterwards? How do you process it? How do you integrate that in your life? Right. Like, how do you? Welcome back to Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome, fun, exciting YouTube podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, gets to talk to these super fun, interesting characters that I meet along my journey. So today I will be talking to Ben Stewart, who's an old friend of mine. He's a filmmaker, a, a TV show producer, a musician, an artist, and a really intelligent friend all in all. How are you doing, Ben? Awesome, man. Woo! It's the first high five I've had today. Thank you for that. Amazing. <laughs> well, it's a classic on this show. So tell me, uh, how are you doing these days, man? Busy, busy. Being a dad, plus all the other stuff that you mentioned. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's like being in the school of life while being in three other schools at the same time. But uh, yeah, busy. And that, uh, that creates a lot of creativity, strangely enough. You know, especially at night when I'm pretending like I'm about to get some sleep. And um, yeah, just really mixing art with the vision for what, what could be done in the world, how to, how to reach people. So these are exciting times. I don't know how you're feeling about these times that we're living in. I'm stoked. Sweet. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot of darkness, but the darkness coming out so we can transmute it into light. So I'm super optimistic about the future. Mm. Um, we are in Tennessee. You just moved here. Uh, where are you from originally and where you've lived? Well, I was, uh, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, um, but being an army brat, uh, my brother, my sister, my, my parents, we just moved all around. So when I was six months old, we drove from Tacoma, Washington to Fort Rucker, Alabama. We lived in Savannah, Georgia, lived in Florida a little bit, um, lived in Kwajalein out in the... Um, Marshall Islands, which is like halfway between Hawaii and Micronesia. Mm -hmm. uh, then we lived in Hawaii a couple of years. Then, man, Connecticut. We lived in Massachusetts. We lived in central Pennsylvania. And then eventually, that was when I started living a little bit in NorCal. Uh, I went to the military, so I traveled a bunch then too, but I was also in a band, nonstop traveling. Lived in, uh, and when I say NorCal, I mean the Redwoods, not San Fran. That's, that's middle Cal. Right. Um, mm -hmm. 
And then after that, Boulder, Colorado, worked at Gaia for a couple years. Then from there, back to Pennsylvania for a little bit. Now we're in Tennessee. So it's just a, a nonstop roller coaster ride of traveling. But my wife and I, we, we've been doing this since we were born. So Right. Yeah. Well, that's very flowy. Mm -hmm. It's funny how you kind of ended up here in Tennessee through a connection that you had through me or, mm -hmm. you know, I interviewed you pretty much a year ago on my Instagram channel right. and our mutual friend Rich saw you and you guys became friends and you moved closer here to form an alliance of positivity through him. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a testament to the times that we're living in right now is um, a lot of the times we, you know, I feel, and I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I know with my family and a lot of my friends, we feel like the, there's only certain moves we'll allow ourselves to make because beyond that, it seems a bit too extreme. But in times where the world seems a little topsy-turvy, you're willing to consider some of these not so extreme, but just kind of ideas that you wouldn't have considered before. I never thought I was I was going to make my way down to Tennessee, um, but it just so happened that way, and it's really working out. And it's it's it threw this curveball that started turning into all these just new things, new ideas, new people, um, new influences, and it's great. I love the music down here, um, and I think it's just it's good for an artist to try new things, experience new things, and it draws new parts out of yourself. So, totally. yeah, super excited about it. It's a, it's nice. a little hot. I'll, I'll admit that. A little hot. <laughs> I like it out here. Like, I've only been a week, but uh, yeah, lots of nature, lots of freedom, good vibes. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. Um, I find the, the story of how we met kind of synchronistic. Uh, do you remember more or less uh, when we met and what the circumstances were? Yeah, man. Uh, I'm trying to remember back to the year that I actually went up to visit you. That must have been like 2011. No, it was the year almost when I got divorced, uh, 2015. It was 2015? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so you reached, well, before this. 2014, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, well, like before this, um, I had seen your documentary. And I remember thinking like, I got to connect with this guy. And then it just didn't happen until you reached out to me and said you had a friend that said you should you should connect with me. And um, right. I remember just thinking like, oh, this is this is how it works when it's meant to. It's just going to happen. Right. Two worlds got to collide. I was in the jungle uh, doing a, a dieta, deciding if I should divorce or not. Um, and there was this other Australian dude who was also doing a dieta. And he was like, I'm listening to this guy, Ben Stewart. He's awesome. He talks all about spirituality and art coming together. So when I got out of the jungle, I checked out your videos and indeed you were talking about like art as an important part of the evolution of humanity, which is totally what I'm into. So I had to hit you up and you were like really in, in for it. And you're like, okay, I'm coming to Montreal. I'm gonna fly there. I'm gonna do an episode for my, my Gaia TV show at the time. Uh, what, what show was that? Uh, well, that was actually going to be Waking Infinity, mm -hmm. and um, to be perfectly honest, I in, I've interviewed about twenty at at least twenty people, um, from Wim Hof to you to uh, David Allen, who wrote Getting Things Done, um, to just like a, a bunch of other people, and I'm still sitting on all that, and I always I always felt like, what am I doing sitting on all this, and. I have come to the conclusion that it's coming back out now as I'm getting like 
editors and people that are working with me and to help me produce all the stuff that I have going on right now, I'm realizing that, oh no, this is all stuff that needs to come out as like a journey of where I'm going in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but it's, it's a ton of good footage. I mean, we, we rode our bikes all around Montreal. I got you skating. I got you tagging that one little, it was kind of like a half pipe. Yeah, the big O. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then some good interviews, a lot of really good stuff. And then in, in, is that the same apartment you still have? No, that's when I was married. Okay, so, yeah. So I got that. that whole apartment and every little feature inside all the It's the still my boards. Yeah, yeah, totally. And we're, and we're still friends. Yeah, right Actually, on. my ex-wife now is becoming friends with, with your wife. <laughs> that's right, because she's from Belgium. Yeah. My wife is from Holland. So they're both Dutch yeah. kind of vibes. So that's great to hear. So will it be Waking Infinity or is it going to be a new show or will it be a documentary? I don't know. I mean, this this to me, like the only way I would ever want a documentary made about me is if I'm kind of maybe a side character, you know, but kind of like as I'm going on in my journey, you're learning from the people at the audiences, learning from the people that I'm learning from. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of builds up into like, why did I get into somebody who has this process called getting things done? It's like, you know, uh, productivity and creativity type of mindset and protocol and then you got Wim Hof and then you got Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA mind coaches and all this kind of stuff and really it, it just at the end of the day there is some kind of uniting philosophy that they all have and that's really like in a world where you do wish to bring your gifts and serve the world with good goodness um, how do you ensure you're actually doing it well how do you sure you know like how do you know that you're able to handle the stress. So in comes the Wim Hof and the David Allens. How are you, you know, able to, um, whatever, whatever it might be, how can I be of most service? That's kind of what I realized. All those people that I've interviewed and, and I, I went back and I listened to your interview as well. And it was really interesting talking about where the creativity comes from. I asked you about, uh, you know, writer or painter's block. And you're like, I don't get that. You know, like I, I, I sit in front of it. I got, a, I got endless ideas and um, that was really interesting. I hope it's still relevant after all these years. It is totally relevant. It is totally relevant. And the thing that I thought was like even Wim Hof's, like that was years and years ago. David Allen, that was years ago. That's before he blew up especially. Yeah, yeah. And what makes it super relevant is the fact that these are timeless uh, gifts that they're sharing. They're timeless, you know, kernels of wisdom that they're sharing. And so when they come back out, you're going to see this litany of people before they really blew up onto the scene, the, uh, all these people pretty much saying the same thing and they're building a case for what, what does it be? What does it mean not to be like superhuman as in some like, you know, fairy tale or Hollywood movie, but really like, discovering your higher potential not in a how how much weight can i deadlift and stuff like that but how much goodness can i bring into the world how rest you know rested and recuperated do i have to be in order to be of service that kind of stuff and i think it's all relevant it's actually going to be more relevant and the world that we're living in today it probably makes more sense now than it did back then. So I'm excited to finally start digging up all that content, all those interviews, and get them out to the world. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, so that was the, the stuff you were capturing for Waking Infinity. But let's get into other projects you've done before. I, I believe you, I don't know if you started, but like the first things that I was aware of was your uh, documentaries on YouTube. 
Um, and then you started doing shows for Gaia, uh, which I'd love for you to tell me about. And then you've done some movies like the the Magic Plant with uh, Chef Pete Evans, which uh, you guys invited me to participate at. Um, so tell me a little bit of the projects you've done. Yeah, so you're right. I started on, uh, it was actually before YouTube, it was Google videos and um, YouTube wasn't even a thing yet. And I put up my first film, Esoteric Agenda. Mm -hmm. And that was, I just worked for six months on a stream of consciousness put this thing together that had was supposed to be about my band turned out to be nothing about my band and that was like all meant to be i never put out a demo reel never did any editing before that i just did two hours worth of a demo reel put it out online that was esoteric agenda and that was when i realized like so you're a filmmaker now you just put out a film you're a filmmaker and that was when i realized people started hitting me up and saying like you know all kinds of things. Thank you so much for making your film. You know, some people said that they, they upended their life and ran off into the woods because of the film that I made. And I was just like, wow, Ben, be careful because you can influence people. Putting out art into the world, using your voice and making it meaningful, you can influence people. You really need to be careful with that. So instantly, I, I put out another film called Chimatica. Uh, that was in 2009. And then I took a couple years to work on this film with a, a sovereign up in Canada. His name's um, Rob and the Paget family. Now with the, um, the, the Blackfoot up there and the Cree, which is called the Nehuin up there. They named him an elder, White Walking Feather. Um, that's after the film came out. But I did a whole film on this guy, one of the most humble people I've ever met. That came out in 2011, right around the time that I was doing the Zeitgeist Media Festival, talking about art, which is probably the videos that you saw. And around that time, David Icke, he's a um, you know, well-known author, conspiracy theorist, he was starting up a channel called The People's Voice. And he was calling in all conscious filmmakers and you know whoever, make some content, we'll put it up on our um, site. So I did. I was the first one to actually submit something, and it was from Burning Man. So like, m my wife and I, we met just before that, and then we started traveling the world in 2013. We went to Burning Man, filmed it all, made an episode, episode and that was Waking Infinity. Mm -hmm. and, um, <clears throat> and, so, and that whole thing was about art and consciousness. And then after that, I just kind of, I kind of got to a point where I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to make films anymore. I don't know what I want to do. We were in Northern California up in the Redwoods trimming pot. And um, that was how we were making our money. And then got pregnant, had a kid. And I was like, all right, I need to figure out how to make some legit money so I can put it in the bank, that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, I wouldn't say I was at my lowest moment. I was just kind of like riding the wave of whatever. Um, and Gaia hit me up and they said, we want to come out and do an interview. So I did. I interviewed on one of their shows, Beyond Belief, and then afterwards the CEO brought me into the, you know, his room and within 20 minutes asked if I wanted to be a producer there. Mm -hmm. So I said yes. A couple months later, my family is moving in from Holland, so my, my wife and my daughter, and he just dropped, he said like, you know, I know that you've done plant medicines. Do you want to make a series on plant medicines and shamanism? And I said, yeah. Nice. What a fun job to be proposed. He took his hands off. He gave me a skeleton crew of people that had just started and was like, I want some episodes soon. So we started filming. Almost everybody said yes. Everyone that I asked uh, to interview said yes. That turned into Psychedelica season one, 
We just finished Psychedelica Season 2 around the same time that, um, well, the, the, right before that was The Magic Plant with Chef Pete Evans. And then right after that, so a lot of these projects were being worked on at the same time. And then DMT Quest is the latest one that just came out. Okay, where and with who? It's on YouTube, and that's with John Chavez. He's the founder of DMT Quest, which is a guy who wrote a book called Questions for the Lion Tamer that's like, I want to talk about DMT, but not the kind you smoke. It's the kind that's already inside you. Why is it there? How much is it? What produces it? You know, what kind of moments bring it out? And um, super intelligent guy. We started working together. He saw my show Limitless. That's another thing. I was in front of camera, talking direct to camera. It's on Gaia. It's called Limitless, about the human potential. And he saw that, and he was like, we need to make this show together. So we did one episode. It's 44 minutes long. It has Wim Hof, Rick Strassman, author of uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. It has Dennis McKenna, a uh, psychedelic scientist. And then also, um, oh, man, what's his name? Cerebrospinal fluid uh, specialist. Um, I'll think of his name here in a second. Mm -hmm. But uh, just really incredible people talking about where... Oh, and John Dean from University of Michigan, Nick Galinos. They are the ones who discovered probably the, the coolest thing we've discovered about DMT, which is at first we were like, oh, it's just the pineal gland, this pea-sized thing in the middle of your brain that produces DMT. Couldn't produce enough to make any difference whatsoever. Turns out your entire brain is making it all the time in comparable levels to serotonin and dopamine. So we're always on DMT, always. Mm -hmm. And there are some moments and some things you could do, like Wim Hof breathing, that probably enhance the DMT experience, um, as well as darkness. I'm, I'm doing a, a film now um, with Aubrey Marcus on darkness retreats mm -hmm. and or what darkness does to neurochemistry and um, just really, really cool stuff. Like the deprivation tanks. Yeah, yeah, but this is... 100% darkness for like six, seven days. Some people do it up to 20, you know, in the Dzogchen Tibetan tradition, they do it for like 49 days. But you need a, a seriously licensed and uh, well-versed practitioner to take you through that because some people, even Mantak Chia, you know, who wrote Darkness Technology, apparently couldn't handle it, you know, in the darkness for that long. Do you think that's like dangerous? Could you go crazy by being in the darkness for so long? Without proper guidance, for sure. But if you think about it, if you're in a war-torn area, you know, without proper guidance, you can, um, you can go crazy from that. If you're on a psychedelic without proper guidance, you right. can, you know, there's what, a lot what of What things. happens when you're in the dark for, say, three days? Here's the thing. Provably, we don't really know. And so that's one thing that we're going to be looking to do is raising a little bit of funds so we can find out on, you know, it's not the best way to do it, but mice and, and rats and stuff like that, um, non-invasively, just testing their neurochemistry, having been in dark for quite some time. And in that, what is proposed and a very good understanding from several people that have gone through this is your pineal gland stops producing melatonin. So just quick backup, like... When the sun goes down, your brain starts to notice, oh, less sunlight, more darkness, that means produce melatonin. That helps you sleep. If you're in darkness, day and night, you've gotten a full eight hours of sleep, but you're still in complete darkness. Your brain, after a couple days, starts going through this, all right, we don't need more melatonin. So it switches over to something that's similar. It's called um, penaline. Penaline is an MAOI. And penaline is like the MAOIs in ayahuasca vine. Mm -hmm. 
And so if your brain is producing DMT, but penaline is not allowing for your brain to properly metabolize the DMT and break it down, then DMT stays DMT and the penaline keeps it active inside the brain. And that's how you start having these DMT-like visions. So there are people who say several days into it, they are, they're like, the darkness is not dark. It's super bright. It's anything but like void. Mm. It's filled with stuff. And then eventually people like Ananda Bozeman, who is the one who trained Montauk Chia and all these people who've been doing it for decades, says, you'll be in there and you will see the person in front of you's nervous system. You'll see it lighting up like the 4th of July. You can even see a chair that doesn't have a nervous system. But the thing is, is you won't see just a chair. You'll see every archetypal chair that you've ever seen in your life. You'll see its chairness, its chair quality. And so we don't know enough. There's, there's not enough to really prove what's going on. But we know that when people do extended stays in darkness, they're like, this is unlike anything I've ever done before. This, it must be like what happens when people do Vipassana and they're just meditating for 10 days in a row with their eyes closed and then they start having visions and stuff, right? Yeah, or you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to express yourself through talking. Think of how much, you know, when you hear that like uh, magic is in the word and to manifest, you manifest via the word. If you're not using words, you're not letting something out. You're not expressing it, which means you're holding it inside to transmute it. I think this is the same reason why there's Tantra and also seed retention, where like you're engaging in sexual intercourse with love, but you're not spilling the seed. You're keeping it inside. Some people say that could drive you mad. Same thing with darkness, same thing with psychedelics. So if you think about it, like all these traditions, they're driving you deeper into something that could drive you mad or could drive you towards an awakening experience. Right. So there's some kind of kernel of wisdom in there. The stuff that could drive you mad may also have some kind of benefit in there. unless Push, Pushing it's, the limits in general. Right. Unless it's like something that is creating permanent damage to the infrastructure. If it's just psychological, then you could probably have somebody there that's, you know, like, this is part of the process. Like, imagine you and I have done medicine, uh, plant medicines before, and you get to that point where you're like, stop, please make this stop. And like, oh, man, I like I don't want this anymore. I thought I wanted it, but I don't want it anymore. And then on the other side of that, when you're held in a loving space, you have this thank, thank you so much for letting me experience that. Because you do survive. You can get through it. But if you didn't have that container around there, that could lead to serious trauma. So I think that's... you know, Going deeper, that's why I focus on art and consciousness. Why I put those words together. Art and consciousness or art consciousness. What I think it is, is in times like now, the artist is so much more important. It's so much more important because the artist can go through a dark night of the soul and draw all the beauty out of it. Like, I'll show you what hell looks like when, when you draw all the beauty out of it. And you can see, like, oh, man, there, you can never completely destroy the light, the beauty. It's always there. And a lot of the times it's just your perception. So that's why I really wanted to connect with you and film you. As an artist, it's your life. You know, you go through these difficult times. What do you do afterwards? How do you process it? How do you integrate that in your life? Right. Like, how do you? The, the medicine? No. How do you process darkness in life? Like, what are your methods of like, I just went through a crappy period. I want to integrate it. What do I do? Like, okay, you, you probably go for a hike in nature, but what are, what are these other things as an artist that you do to help you process things that 
it takes time to integrate. Right. Well, um, as you know, I went through some hard months a couple, you know, like a month or so ago, uh, just being by myself, thinking, meditating, doing art, a couple medicine ceremonies when the time is right, not pushing it or trying to like shock myself out of it, just accepting it and letting time do the healing, just giving myself space, skateboarding if it's available, exercise, uh, nature, sun, just trying to find happiness in the darkness and allowing it to wash through me and also not fighting it, just, just letting it do its thing and learn the lessons from it and mm. think and etc. So it's very, very beautiful. Um, so it's something, one show that I just want to say is one show that I've always, uh, you know, wanted you to do, and I don't know if you'll do it, it would be like a whole Gaia TV show on visionary art where each episode you're focusing on a different artist and seeing the world through their eyes and their perspective and their process. So I hope that happens in some future. <laughs> I, I hope it does too. I just want to say like, Everything that you mentioned about your process of integrating a, a really big, dark experience sounds like an artistic um, rendering. Like, I know you do your art and it's with paint and, and there's art pieces that come out of it. But that whole thing, to me, that's an art. Learning how to go through difficult times. And I, I bet you it probably does inform your actual art and your painting, like those those moments. For sure, like I have been working on a painting that reflects the situation of last month. It's not for sale. I'm not even gonna share it on, on social media. Maybe it will be in my next book, whatever. It's more for medicine and processing for myself to just get it out of myself, observe it, understand it, and move on also, not hold on to it forever because art's my medicine. Um, but yeah, what about you? What's your way of going through the hard times of uh, the world? We all have hard times. What's, what's your method of transmuting it? A lot of the same stuff. You know, you mentioned some core categorical things. Movement is super important. You, you skateboard, exercise and stuff like that. Out here in this gym, I have like a bunch of stuff that I can do to move the body. Um, there's that book, um, the, the Body Keeps the Score meaning like any and all trauma and or even good stuff that's really intense, it holds itself inside you. So moving the body is super important. Uh, I'll do breath work. Um, I write a lot of music. I, I find my way in artistic creations like in film and um, a lot of the times the soundtrack. So artistic expression, being around loved ones, um, being in nature, you know, walking barefoot very slowly and quietly in nature, things along those lines. You were saying getting sun. I think these are the same core categories that most people could find. And also having close confidants and friends and people that they're... I'm going through this right now. I have some friends that are going through really, really, really difficult times. And, I mean, it is a bad situation. Like, really, the law had to get involved. It's very, very bad. And for me, to be there for them... I was even talking to an Uber driver when I was out filming at Gaia just the other day. And I was like, oh, this stuff is happening. And I just, I want to be the best friend that I possibly can. And he was just like, just an Uber driver. He was like, yeah, man, you know, I've been through it. I've been divorced and yada, yada. Um, you know, the best thing you could do is really just listen. That's what a friend does. You know, you're not a guidance counselor. You're not their therapist. You're just a friend. 
and friends listen yeah you talk you'll talk back but for the most part you're just showing like listen whatever you have to say whatever darkness you want to reveal i'm not judging i'm just i'm here to love no matter what right processing i definitely couldn't have gone through it as easily without my friends with a million conversations to you know just understand myself when i talk to it and get the reflection back from a million perspectives and find my own personal truth through it so definitely support systems are crucial in the hard times. Mm-hmm. Seems like these days, everybody is going through hard times, uh, this uh, new COVID world or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you observe the world that we've been experiencing for the last uh, year and a half or whatever? Yeah, a very good question. See, I'm not surprised. I've been calling this kind of an event for over 10 years now. And that's not to say I told you so because I was even surprised when it finally arrived here because it went from making films about where the world's headed and the large scale events that will have to happen in order for an excuse to start pushing into this direction. Um, I see that this is right on time, but I also I'm unwavering, unwaveringly optimistic about the human potential and also what what's happening in the world it's stressful but it's causing people to look for like-minded people so as it's like you know people are losing their jobs other people they're not leaving their house so there's a you know apparently more reported cases of domestic violence and you know like imagine a husband who's like gone all the time because they're working able to support their family now they're not able to support their family and their home all the time So it's creating this kind of world where people are having to reach out. You can't just be like, you know, I'm so pissed off. I'm just going to sit down and watch my favorite soap opera for a while. Like it's starting to get so intense. You can't just tune out of it. People are realizing, no, I have to seek help. Even if that's just a friend or if it's professional help or something. Do I need a spiritual guru? What's going on in the world? So because... All of this, and because it's the first global event, it really is, you know, other than a world war, this is the first global event where everyone had to go through the same kind of quarantine, and it's all because of this story. Not that there isn't stuff actually happening in the world, but for, the, for 99% of the population, it's a story, and our lives are turned upside down. So we're looking for people to help us make sense of it. Um, I don't want to go too off on a tangent, but there was this awesome book um, by Daniel Siegel, I think it was, um, Mindsight. And he was saying, for a child that's being raised, the absolute best influence they could ever have is some kind of parent or like parental type figure, like an uncle or a grandfather, who has noticeably been through a lot of ups and downs and has made sense of it. That's it. Not found a way to only go through the good times, not found the trick of life, but somebody who's like, yeah, I've been through this and I've been through that. And you know what? You just got to make it through and you got to be there for others. Somebody who's made sense of the ups and downs of life is the best influence for a child, according to these professionals. Mm -hmm. So imagine that's talking about child rearing, but we're all children and we're all wounded in some way. So we all need other people who've made sense of the world. And I never realized, like, I, you know, I went through being called a conspiracy theorist because, like, I'm like, guys, look, there's more going on in the world than you understand. I'm unwaveringly optimistic about where it's headed, but that doesn't mean we don't need to face some of the skeletons in the closet of our society. 
And because of that, I had some people that they just completely took their hands off and I wasn't even pushy. You know, I'm not the kind of guy that was at a party trying to talk about building seven and nine 11. I was, you know, completely copacetic with whatever, but if somebody wanted to go deep, I'd take them there. And I'm finding in the world now, people are like coming back to me. Those people that I thought friends lost forever. Now they're like, yo, Ben, what do you think all this means right now? And I have people reaching out to me from high school that are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, A, it's nice to catch up with you again. And B, you know, I feel like the only reason why I'm here to be able to help you is because I, I, like, I woke up 10 years ago. Why? Not so I could become some filmmaker or a conspiracy theorist, but because I had to somehow get along in a field where I could keep researching all this stuff and keep doing the inner work so 10, 11, 12 years later, when the world needs it, I can start putting out con continual content and saying, yes, it seems dark, but guess what? In that darkness, it's anything but void. It's anything but void of light. There's so much solution here. So that's why I went through all that shit. It was so I could be here for people in the world. What's happening in the world? There's a million different explanations, but here's what I think is happening. We are being called like the medicine calls you, we are being called to connect with the right people. That's what got me down here to Tennessee through you, right? And there's this network, like mycelial network connecting underneath the surface. It's not like we're, we're all a part of some branded coalition, right? We're, we're coming together. We're just friends. We're using technology, whatever means we can to connect. Because I believe in the next couple years, the groundwork that we're laying right now with a global community that gets it and that gets that compassion and love and artistic solutions is the only and best way forward, then in a couple years, more people are going to wake up. For a healing crisis, you know that in, in medicine, when somebody's going through a healing crisis, it takes quite a few people to hold space for them. Right. What if a million people in the United States in three years starts losing their shit and losing their mind? What kind of infrastructure for that healing crisis will allow for them to heal well and not create more trauma in the world and pass trauma along? That's why we're all coming together. That's what I believe the real artistic, the epi-artistic phenomena. So you're an artist and I'm an artist and we do our art in a different way. But Pink Floyd, they're all individuals, but there's an epiphenomena of Pink Floyd's art that no one of those individuals could have done on their own. Right. I think that's happening global right now. There's an epiphenomena, like an over-phenomena that's happening where the art of the world, the consciousness of the planet, is coming together to make something that we couldn't conceive of before. But we need to not just believe it, but know that's what's happening have some faith and trust in the process. So you mentioned uh, conspiracy theories and uh, uh, some of your early work, like the esoteric agenda, and you ended the new esoteric agenda too, would be considered that. And then there's the mainstream narrative that is always trying to push on us, like what they believe everything's about. And as you said, your friends are reaching out. Uh, seems like more uh, quote unquote normal people are starting to question what all of this means. What do you think is the best relationship between what people would call alternative uh, information or conspiracy theory, the mainstream media and their narrative? Where's the middle balance and where do you think on that scale is the truth truly at? Because each one goes on an extreme and 
you know, wh where do you fall in that category? And like, you know, what's the safest way to navigate these really crazy waters we're in? Yeah, very good question. It's super simple. So many people try and find truth in something you can talk about. So then there's narrative. So the media is like, well, our truth is truth and everybody else is conspiracy theory. You notice how now that term conspiracy theory is being thrown on everything. Right. Anything that veers away from CNN or Fox narrative is conspiracy. It's theory. so dismissive. They're talking to each other that way, like CNN, MSNBC and Fox. Every other one is a conspiracy theorist channel. And so when there's alternative media and then there's mainstream media and everyone's looking for the truth, here's what I would say about that. I think the truth is how you can integrate information and acknowledge the timeless wisdom, not the did this event really happen five days ago or not. It's the what does that matter to me in my life? Is that going to make my relationship to my daughter or my, my kids or my family? What does that truth mean to my life? So the underlying truth to those external, like what's going on in Palestine or yeah, in Palestine right now, like I know a lot of people that are talking about this right now and I've kept my mouth shut. And I'm in a sense, I'm, I'm holding space for a deeper truth to emerge here because it's pointing out a lot of things. A lot of people are trying to find where do I stand? And they want to stand there so they can show that to other people. And there's other people that are like thinking of the, the horrible atrocities that are going on. But it's dredging up this deep, deep content within us. And so what is truth? What is conspiracy? What's too alternative? I think we're living in a world where we need to understand, we need to stop 100% relying on external sources to give us truth. That's not where it comes from. It's not going to come, not even from my media. You're not going to get truth. You might hear truth in there, right? When somebody's talking sense, you might be like, oh man, that's truth. No, the words weren't truth. What you felt was truth. You resonated with, ah, they're talking about a level beneath the level. They're talking about the world beneath the world. The narrative beneath the narrative that you can't put a narrative around, the Tao. And so that's, to me, that's where real truth lies. And so do you know why I talk about conspiracies still? Because there's so many people that are afraid of it. It's not because I want people to believe in conspiracies. I do have more of a sense that these things are happening in the world than what the mainstream media is saying. But the thing is, is I don't even diss the mainstream media for saying it. I think there's a, a place for that. You know what that place is? They're holding a frequency for people who don't, they're not even close to wanting and knowing how to wake up yet. They're holding that frequency alive. Because even those people, if mainstream media went away, all you would have are the alternative narratives. Then you can't help it. People are going to start waking up way, way too fast for them. So you actually need kind of that cookie cutter, vanilla, slightly filled with falsities. You need that there. It's Most safe. people can't. Yeah, most people can't tell why you would need it. They're like, you know, they'll come up with little nuanced reasons. So you believe we should be lying about blah, blah. No, I don't believe lies. But the thing is, is we're all lying to ourselves on some level. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's pull out the, you know, those skeletons out of the closet. We're all untruthful about who we are on some level. That's why we need community to help guide us into the best version of who we really are. I talk about conspiracy because I think it's, not funny in the sense of like, ha ha, 
but it's, it's, it's a tool like psychedelics to get people, it charges something inside them. The ones who don't like it, it still plants a seed. And if you can do it with love, if you can say it with love, like, I don't need you to believe me. I want you to see that this is a possibility. If you can follow my logic, let that unlock potential inside you. Room for your consciousness to expand. Not for you to find my model of thinking and put that on top of your head and let that be your truth. Please don't ever do that. What I want to do is, you think that's true? Let me unlock that so you can start seeing it from a different angle. And then at the end of the day, I think what would happen is we're going through this huge science era now, and we, we just got out of a huge religious period in history, and then it made way for science, right? And before that was philosophy. I think we're moving into the art era. I really do. And a book is coming about that. We're moving into an era where art is the main archetype. It's not that science and religion and philosophy go bye-bye. They just become the scaffolding that holds up the real hero of the right now, and that's the artist. Terrence McKenna will say that. A lot of artists will say that. And so I think that's why when there's so many narratives out there, I'm not here to make you believe me. I'm more of a trickster in mythology. I'm just trying to unlock all the lies we tell ourselves and show you that I'm no different. But I am here for you. I'm community. And you can reach out to me even if you hate my material because I can see that there's a reason for pushing back against my beliefs and my ideas. Mm-hmm. We're holding a network here. Right. And it's, it's, it's awakening. I'll say that. Not to get too hyperbolic, but it's awakening. I believe that. Well, that's beautiful. I think that uh, getting anybody out of their comfort zone and just think a little bit different, that's medicine. And, you know, us triggering each other all the time is, is a good thing. If it kind of like shakes you a little bit and helps you like move a little bit into a little bit closer to your truth, whatever that may be. Um, uh, let's get into a couple specific topics. Um, in our last interview on Instagram, we talked about 5G, mm-hmm. and we talked about uh, the vaccine that seemed very far away, and now it's a present thing. Um, have you uh, changed your mind, learned new things about it? Um, where do you stand now a year later about um, our, you know, our current changes in the world? Mm. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, I'll start with 5G. I mean, 5G is just you know, one more than 4G. It's it's going to go to 6G next, right? You know, it's going to go to 7G next. And there are ideas of what this infrastructure is here to really do. And um, I love dropping bombs. Like, I mean, you'll have a lot of people who do understand this, but maybe some listeners that like, whoa, that went way far. I think 6G is the legit, that's when you've finished your terrarium. You know what a terrarium is, right? Yeah. Okay, so instead of an aquarium where you, ha- you fill it with water and, and, and fish, a terrarium is where you put like salamanders and frogs and turtles. It's the same glass thing, but it's just built a reconstructed environment for a creature you want to put in there. And then so I start looking at the world right now and you see you're never really out of eye line or eyesight from a 5G tower or some kind of tower. And eventually there's going to be more of that. And it's just going to keep popping up and popping up and popping up. So I'm like, what kind of a terrarium is being built right now? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not just for the human body. It's not just for biology. I think it's a terrarium for um, 
cyborgs, literally cyborgs. And most people would be like, that's so Hollywood. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's this thing called the Internet of Things, which is all of our phones, all of our tablets, all of our laptops. And the Internet of Things is every smart device connected together through cloud computing and AI. It's already gone to the point where we have Apple Watches and Fitbits and now, you know, Neuralink, smart pacemakers, smart insulin pumps. They're already in people's bodies. They're already communicating to big data. The first pacema smart pa pacemaker already um, testified against somebody in court. What? Yeah, in Ohio. A pacemaker. A pacemaker. <laughs> Catch this. There's this guy in Ohio. House catch uh, apartment catches on fire. Cat dies. Big tragedy. Then they start uh, investigating and they realize the fire was started in several places in the house. And they were like, hmm, if this guy had a lot of activity, you could tell he was moving around a lot right before the fire. We have reason to believe he set these fires and he set his own place on fire. So they went to big data and they said, are there any legal discrepancies at us accessing the data of his pacemaker to testify against him if it turns out that he was very active right beforehand. Turns out he was, turns out he did set the fire. His pacemaker in his own heart testified against him. Wow. So this is the world we're living in. And that's what I mean about like, we are setting up the infrastructure for humans that basically at some point, we already have incredible prosthetic arms and limbs where people are like, it feels like I have my leg back. It's not like I have a robot leg. I ha it feels like I have my leg back. I can feel my toes wiggling. So we're in a world where eventually some people will be like, well, if you could just put realistic looking stuff around the arm, can't you just remove my arm so I can have a five times stronger arm than everybody else? When that gets to the, that point, that's when we're really turning into the transhuman and the transhuman is the transformation between human and this idea that you can upload your consciousness to a computer. Not that I'm going to go into the belief that that's even possible, but I do know that there are some people in high places like Google and uh, other high tech companies that do believe it's possible. They're working at it. And that's why they're sending up thousands of satellites in space and setting up this infrastructure. They're setting up a terrarium for the cyborg. So. That's what I believe that I wouldn't have said back then. Okay. And now I believe it more, the more I look into it. When it comes to the vaccines, I think it's part of the same agenda. And I'll make no bones about it. I'm not getting the vaccine. Nobody I love and know and have influence over will probably be getting the vaccine. I'm not going to sit here and say that I know for a fact that it's nanobots that they're injecting inside you. But I've heard from their own mouth that it's not a traditional vaccine that it is an operating system. Some say, well, it's a biological operating system. And I'm like, I have no way of proving that. I, I don't have a long history other than when I was in the military of being like the government. Oh, sure. Stick a needle in me. Experimental. I don't care. Just, just inject whatever you think will be best for me inside there. No, I have a little bit more of like, I got some questions first, especially a vaccine that went through this thing called Operation Warp Speed. Like, I'm going to let you throw an experimental serum of something you call an operating system inside my body and my little kids. And, oh, we'll have a big class action lawsuit if anything happens. No, I'm not even going to take that chance. I'll let other people do it first. But I don't dismiss people who want to go there. So there's that, there's that dichotomy that some people are like, they feel like you have to say no to vaccines. You got to pick a team and your team has to be right of the other right. one. And so I have friends who've gotten the vaccine and guess what? They're fine. 
Maybe they'll they'll have some issues later on, but like I'm not going to sit here and tell them like you made the wrong choice or whatever. Like I want to find as much harmony harmony as I can bring out of this situation. Right. Maybe the placebo effect because they think they're going to be better will create that they're better. For sure, for sure. And there's there are some ideas that even like the polio vaccine, like a lot of people, someone uh, like really credible um, doctor said that the polio vaccine in the end always wins. Your body with a good immune system will incubate polio, but at the end of the day, if you've gotten the vaccine, you have polio and polio will win. A lot of people are dying of what they call natural causes. And this guy is saying that it's, uh, a lot of people are dying of polio. So my idea behind all that is we need to figure out what we do resonate with. And that is the process of learning how to listen, not just to nature, but, do I have a yes inside me or do I have a no inside me? And my no is no to, no to vaccines for me and my family, no to too much technology and constantly having it on you and, and getting that radiation. But am I going to go out and, and tear down 5G towers and like rally against vaccines? It's not my thing. I don't find that fun. It's not artistic or creative. It does nothing but make other people like, you know, snub their nose at you. So for me, I feel like there's a nuance that a lot of people, when, when politically it's so polarized, like, you know, there's people who won't take their masks off because they don't want to be seen as a conservative. Mm -hmm. And there's other people probably on the conservative side that don't want to be seen as a liberal. So they won't wear a shirt that says this or that, even if they, if it looks cool or if somebody gave it to them, that's the kind of world we're living in. You know, it's like, I don't want to be seen as, and it's just like, no, you are something. Don't you want to be seen as what you are? And so for me, that's kind of where I come in is in a world where things seem to be getting crazy, vaccines, all this talk. Do you, are you a believer of COVID or are you a COVID denier? And there's all these terms that you could be thrown into. Uh, all I can see is being the artist that like, I, you know, I know and love people. And if they want to ask me some questions, I'll, I'll tell them what I really think. And if they just need support and somebody to listen, I'll be there. I can do that. If I feel like they're deluding themselves, I'll poke, mm -hmm. I'll poke at it. Right. So that's an adaptive artist. It's somebody who will hold space for healing that wants to happen. So I'm listening to this global healing that wants to happen. That's what the inner artist is hearing in me, right? I hear that healing wants to happen. And I know that it doesn't have to do with a new political legislation or whatever, or holding a picket sign. It's a lot more nuanced than that. And I think the world that we're stepping into, a lot of those old paradigms of how we speak to one another are going to go away. And I feel like technology, I'll end on this. I feel like technology is going to strip away a lot of what we've come to get used to as privacy. Because if you think about it, our cell phones, iPhones are taking, every, every, we're looking at them on average of four to six hours a day. Every five seconds, it's taking an infrared image of you, a thermal imprint of you. And it's also probably got the camera constantly going on you. So not only does it see your mug more than your loved ones see your mug, and it's getting a thermal imprint of your body more than anybody else Is that could happening? ever. Yes. I have video on my phone that shows every five seconds it's taking an infrared pulsed image. So that's a time lapse. Why? Well, technology now gets to see us more than we get to see our loved ones. But my phone sees my face more than my child sits there and just stares at my face, right? 
That's an interesting world that we got into. We see trees on our phones more than we see trees in reality. This happened within a couple decades. So in a couple decades, we're going to start realizing what the impact of that is. And I know that the ones who are waking up now are going to need to be there to help make sense of why is all this happening? Like, why, why am I having this, you know, nervous system issues and yada yada? It's just like, well, you know, I didn't experience this when I was a kid. Yeah, you weren't attached to a device that was constantly pumping and looking for signals from towers all the time. We're living in a different world. So we need to wake up to that. We can't just ignore it. We can't just pretend, oh, it makes me nervous. Yeah, you know what that also is? When you see a tidal wave coming, coming at you, are you nervous? What is that doing for your body? Probably giving you the adrenaline you need to run in the opposite direction. Well, this isn't one of those things where you can run in an opposite direction. It's everywhere. It's omnipresent. So what do we have to do? Well, you can't just go around tearing down towers, right? So what do you have to do? And that question keeps coming up. What are we meant to do in a situation like this? Mm -hmm. I don't know the ultimate answer. Right. I do know the first answer. And we need to set aside our differences and start acknowledging like we are people and none of us seem to like some of the directions we're heading in, but we can't agree on what that is. Right. That's the problem. We can't agree. We can't come together. We can't, in our hearts, get past these little, the color is different, your voice sounds different, you, your ethnicity is different, all, you know, your ideas are different, I can't be friends with you. That's the first illness that needs to come really to the fore for humanity to be like, why are we othering each other so much? Well, the divide and conquer is in full effect right now. I do hope that we can unite eventually and find ways to change the situation. And I also like to hold on to my faith that we will, hopefully in my lifetime, evolve into a higher consciousness that allows for us to find these answers that we're asking right now. And that's where we go back also to um, psychedelics or plant medicine that's helping a lot of us waking up. So I want to go back to your uh, series Psychedelica that just had the second season. I didn't see the second season. I, I love the first one. It's very comprehensive. It's like an encyclopedia of all, all these subject matters. Um, how was it received and uh, what's your experiences with plant medicines in general? How has it helped you in your, in your path? I started taking psychedelics at age 14, but it wasn't in a ceremonial container. Um, I was going into nature, doing it with just a few close friends. So that was probably the best I could do it. Um, but it wasn't until I was 24, um, no, 25, because I had just put out Esoteric Agenda. And a friend saw it and connected me with a group down in um, uh, Peru. Uh, the guy's name was Don Howard, Howard Lawler. Um, he's since died just a few years back. Um, amazing individual. And he brought me down... And he introduced me to Don Robert, and he was the Shipibo lineage that goes way back and did ayahuasca for the first time and changed my way of looking at psychedelics. Whereas before it was just like, I knew that I liked psychedelics more than I liked opiates, right? Mm -hmm. Opiates seem to do this to consciousness, whereas psychedelics seem to do that. And I was like, I want more of that. You know, Expansion. it's more colorful. It brings more out of me. The other thing is just like pain. Dim it, dim it, dim it. Um, so I started doing it more in a ceremonial container. And it started 
showing up in Chimatica and thereon. So all of my other films started having more of that shamanic type of feel to it. And then eventually when it got to um, Psychedelica, I just decided, okay, yeah, you know, this has to be about plant medicines, you know, not even just calling, I mean, Psychedelica, it's, it's obviously, you know, it's about psychedelics, it's a catchy title, but it's really about the plants, their ancestral use, how our ancestors in different cultures built up some kind of container around it and why. So the whole series, it, it covered a litany of things, even like the medicine that we produce from within, the dark side, the shadow side, things to look out for. And yeah, people started receiving it really well. There was a huge cast of characters. I won't even go into the laundry list of them. Uh, everyone I asked except for Paul Stamets said yes. And actually Michael Pollan said yes, but I can't now. And I was like, so that's a no because I have to film right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so it went really well. It was received really well. And I think season two is actually being received even more well because it's building off of the popularity in the audience that Psychedelica season one had. Mm -hmm. So it's really like just yesterday I was on LAMPS, Los Angeles Medicinal Plant Medicine Society. Okay. And... Um, uh, it was a big conference and we were talking, the panel that I was moderating was on the application of um, psychedelics in wellness practices like massage, yoga, meditation, those types of things. And it's really interesting because because of this, I'm now in conferences with people like Paul Cech, Kyle Kingsbury, Laura Don, Manesh Gurn, Lauren Taus, really well-known names, talking about how to bring these medicines, these ancestral medicines, into new arenas so they can bring more enhancement. And I think that's just incredible that that's what this paved the way for. So, I mean, this is a piece of art. It really is. Psychedelica is a piece of art that's getting out there and changing people's minds on the application of plants that have been around for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. So... I love, like, I love that I was able to do this. And it turned into DMT Quest. It turned into this uh, Aubrey Marcus film that we're doing on darkness. So um, that to me is my spiritual path in a way. Like all these kinds of films, they, they just pave the way for something new that I don't know what it's going to be until it pops up. So that's kind of how plant medicines have always been for me is you won't know until you've tried it. And then that'll lead you to the next stepping stone. And you won't know what that'll be like mm -hmm. until you get the first stepping stone out of the way. <laughs> so I'm like, wow, what a, what a lesson for life. You don't know what you're headed towards, but you don't need headlights that can light New York all the way to L.A. You right. just need it to light the next whatever, however many yards on the, on the drive. Uh -huh. So you can drive in complete darkness from New York to L.A. only knowing what the next couple hundred yards looks like. Right. It's more exciting that way, too, because if you already knew the ending of the movie, well, why are you living this movie? Yeah, exactly. And, and then you have to pretend like you actually know what the end of the movie is, because none of us do. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. Um, would you say that your main art, or at least the way you express yourself more artistically, would be music? Mm-hmm. How how's that? Uh, how you, are you doing much music these days? And can you tell me a little bit of what you've... Uh, done in, in your past years as a musician. Uh, Rich was telling me that uh, you actually opened up for Alice in Chains at Lollapalooza or something like that. 
No, it wasn't Alice in Chains, but so um, in 2003, uh, my band Hyrosonic, um, just a little backstory, I was in a band before that in high school. Right after high school, I, I went into the military. As soon as I got back from tech school, literally the beginning of my military career, I got into a band called Hyrosonic. And um, within six months, we were on Lollapalooza. And in his, it, it, everyone that I tell that to is like, well, that's amazing. I'm like, I wish it would have waited six years mm -hmm. because we weren't ready. I mean, like we could have made a much bigger splash had we had six years behind us rather than six months. Mm -hmm. But we got to play with um, Jane's Addiction, Incubus, A Perfect Circle, um, Jurassic 5, 30 Seconds to Mars, Kings of Leon, Pornos for Pyros, just Super on cool. and on and on. And so, and then we had... 11 years after that of touring with a bunch of other amazing bands. Awesome. Um, so, so you were a full-on rock star then. Constantly touring, constantly touring. The films were not a mistake, but they, they were a side project when I was in the band. And then it just took off. The films just took off. And the band, it, it wasn't. It was doing really well, but it wasn't taking off at that accelerated rate. Um, so yeah, I'm still writing music and I'm, I'm really grateful that I had that experience. And I'm also really grateful that it ended because it paved the way for me to, the band was heavy, heavier than I write now. And, um, and now I really appreciate how I can use my voice more bluesy, soulful rather than like aggressive. And, um, I do a lot more singer songwriter acoustic and I have about eight, nine songs that I'm, I'm ready to go into the studio and record them mm -hmm. legit. Beautiful. And now in being in Nashville, it's, it's really cool to be here for that. But, um, yeah, music has always been my jam. It's always been the thing that I connect with most. And, um, what's so funny is I always felt from the start when I started making films, I'm like there's too much talking, you know, it's just too much talking. It's, it, but what I like about it is, have you ever heard Alan Watts speak? Yeah. You ever heard Alan Watts speak to like a sound bed? Like somebody puts trippy visuals and some mm -hmm. side trance. And it's, then it's over very top... much done for sure. Right. Yeah. You see a lot of it. Yeah. That's what I like about film is you can add a soundtrack. You can do pacing and you can say exactly what you want to say to hit people in the right way. Right. So it's kind of another way of making music, you mm -hmm. know, just giving more on the nose ideas than these abstract lyrical ideas mm -hmm. um, but music has always been my jam soundtrack making and sound design is my favorite part of filmmaking that's where it really develops the soul I, I really believe that it develops the soul of the film so um, yeah music expect more out of me musically in the next year nice man well yeah. let me know when you put out your solo album so I can enjoy it we'll do we're gonna do a music video I've seen it Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, you know, time lapse of you doing some huge mural yeah. while I'm sitting in a lonely chair just jamming and playing. Ooh, and you're yeah. getting high off the fumes. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait, man. <laughs> Sick. Well, I'm uh, happy that uh, I, it seems like I'll be coming more to Tennessee to continue uh, collaborating with Rich and you and all this beautiful light family that I'm meeting out here. So we're coming to the end of, of this interview. Is there any like final words of wisdom that you have for our viewers? The number one thing that always comes to me is um, finding our voice and wielding it. And I think there's a lot of people talking, there's a lot of people yelling right now, and they haven't found their voice yet. So what I mean is even the word vocation comes from vocare. It comes from your voice. What were you, 
What will you put on this earth to say? You're saying it through paint. Other people do it through music. Other people do it through various things. Gandhi did, found his voice in his own way. So what I mean by voice is like your soul speaks through everything you do. All of your relationships, the way you walk upon the earth, all that. We need to find our voice and that we really need to do more inner listening. And once we've come into contact with our voice and you sense all the love and healing that your soul wishes to bring, then you'll realize the rough edges on your voice that you want to smooth out. You'll realize when you didn't stand up for what you really believe in because you're worried of confrontation. There's all these little things about using our voice that um, I'm excited that now, especially in the face of cancel culture, which again, there's so many people that are like, I can't stand the way the world is looking right now and what's happening. And I'm like, this is perfect. It's perfect because we're not discovering our true inner self when everything's perfect outside and we can just get on with our normal economic day-to-day -day life. We need to be pushed. And now that we're being pushed, you can say you don't like the external circumstance, but what's it causing us to do? Find one another and our others are mirroring back to us. Who are you? You know, who are you, Chris? What do you stand for? Who are you, Ben? What do you really stand for? Why aren't you saying it? And if you're not going to say it, sing it. Sing it. And so that's why, you know, I even wrote a song like, you know, I didn't come here to talk. You know, I came here to sing. I came here to sing. Beautiful. Well, I hope you do both. <laughs> or you continue to do that. Yeah. And let's support each other in finding our voices. Hell yeah. Woo-hoo. Thank you so much, Ben. You're a beautiful person. I love your words and all your wisdom. So thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you did, please press like, comment, subscribe, share all that awesome things that uh, helps these awesome conversations be seen by more people. So thank you for coming another week and I'll see you next time. Blessings. Woo. What? On our next episode, we will have Vincent Gordon. Understanding who you are outside of the community too. Like, who are you when, like, alone? Who are you, like, like you know, when when I'm just sitting here present? What do I feel? What is my intention? What do, what do I have the inkling to do? What do I, you know, what is my what do I what is my purpose? You know, uh, I've got a saying that I say all the time: Let the butcher be the butcher, let the baker be the baker. You know, and. And that just means that everyone in society needs to f do their calling, find their calling, be honest with yourself, look inwards, you know, through self-awareness, finding what will make you happy, right. what, you're, what you are, even when no one's around, even when no one's looking, what are you happy doing? It's, it's, it's all about challenging yourself, you know, and through those challenges, like understanding yourself better. So make sure to subscribe, like, and everything else. Big thanks and see you next week. Peace.